Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus called the apostles to be fishers of men. And really, when we look at this event in the life of Peter, here in Luke's account, it's also we see it in Matthew, in the Synoptic Gospels, it describes the task pretty well. And there's something of a bit of a parallel with what happened to these fishermen as they came into shore after toiling all night, and then the Lord went out on the boat with them, and what they would be sent out to do. Here they are, they didn't have much to show for their night of work. They came back empty-handed. They didn't have any fish. Yet the Lord was merciful to them. He spoke his word, and he granted them a miracle. So often then this text in the history of the church, we see a lot about the church. The church in this world is the church which bears the cross and suffers. We just sing about that in the hymn appointed for this day in the church year. So the church, she goes through this life at times looking a bit beaten down, tattered, at odd to those who see her. In the dance of the world, she is the girl nobody pays attention to because she isn't dressed to seduce. She's not the girl trying to win the popularity contest to be crowned queen at the end of the party. No, the church doesn't appear that way and isn't perceived as such, at least if she's faithful, and she shouldn't be seen in that way. For what does it say of herself if that is the appearance she tries to give? Yet beauty is a real thing, and it's an objective thing. It's a lie that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's not true. No, beauty in the church's beauty is found in what adorns her, the righteousness of Christ. Isaiah uses that image of the church as a bride adorns herself before her husband. That's what the righteousness of, of God adorns us as. So the church's beauty is her word and sacraments, and that's by what she's known. It's how we know where she is, and it's beautiful, because it's these things which are true, which are good, which give life. These things transcend the fleeting and superficial beauty and appeal of the world, which changes from decade to day, decade. And so, too, this is how, when it comes to how she operates. She belongs to Christ and lives according to his word, even if that means she suffers the consequences. And so we are the church. And we know all too well the church is under attack. Because even our own sinful flesh keeps telling us to look for comfort and solutions elsewhere when we face these times of crosses, times of trial, times of suffering. Because we're tired. We're hungry. We want to rest. We want to fit in. We want to be popular. We want to be the church to be a pleasure cruise, busting at the seams with an all-you-can-eat buffet that suits everyone's preferences and likings. But then we find out that you get food poisoning in the end. But Jesus calls us to let down our nets. It's his ship. It's his ark that we are passengers and members of as his people. So he calls his word to be preached, even if at least in our minds it seems pointless or downright ridiculous. But that's the thing about God and his word, isn't it? Listen again to those words of the epistle reading. For the word, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, literally the dynamis, the dynamite of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, that pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So trusting God's word doesn't come by our own reason or strength. Since the fall into sin, we've lost that aspect of God's image, where we trust and love God completely. The fall has ruined that. Because in fact, it's quite the opposite. We trust our own wisdom. We think our ways, our methods, our wisdom that we may concoct for ourselves are what is good and true. That's where God's law breaks us like a hammer. It calls us to look outside of ourselves and see that to seek our own thoughts and ways and turn from God's word is the real foolishness that leads to death. And God makes foolish our wisdom. So God calls us instead to completely trust and depend on what he says to us in his holy scriptures. For they are the words of eternal life and what will endure forever. It's God then who speaks and works this faith to turn us toward him and to trust his word. So in that reading today, Simon spoke great words of faith. Listen again to what Luke recorded. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. So this miracle of so many fish um, pointed Simon to Jesus, who spoke these words to him. And to him it seemed ridiculous, right? He's the fisherman. Jesus is this guy who just got in his boat and started preaching to people. What does he know about fishing? But he said, at your word I will let down the nets. And so then when this encounter happens, that he brings in all of this fish to the point that their nets are breaking and their ship, or boats are beginning to sink, it's no wonder then how Peter responded what he did. We hear he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, he knew something. Like the prophet Isaiah who saw the vision of heaven and said, Depart from me, woe is me, for I am a sinful man, I'm lost, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He was standing in the presence of God. So what does all this mean then for us, we sitting here who are not sitting on boats on a sea in first century Palestine or Israel? What does that mean? Well, we see that God is teaching us that we are to be content and find peace in his word. So even at times if God is stretching us, he's testing us, he's giving you crosses to bear as a result of being faithful to his word, you do so as a people who have his word as people who are called by name in the waters of holy baptism. And you see, that means everything. Jesus called the apostles to be fishers of men. You don't have that same call and vocation, but you as the church have that same word of God given to you. So God calls you to be hearers of his word, and he calls his church to proclaim this word and be faithful. The net goes out as the word is preached. The consolation and peace come when you stop worrying about things and you start trusting those promises of God made to you in Christ, even if it may sound ridiculous. For the church, this promise is not even the gates of hell shall prevail against the church, not even prevail against you. So as we think about who we are as the body of Christ together, does that mean the church won't get smaller in this world? No, Jesus doesn't promise that. Nor does it mean that numerical growth will occur when you want it to happen. Remember Simon? 
And James and John in that reading, what did they do? They toiled all night, and what did they have to show for it? Nothing. It was only after they had God's word did they have the great catch of fish. So the environment and the culture around us have changed dramatically. Many of us in our lifetimes, even my lifetime as a 36-year-old, is that how old I am, I think? I can't remember. No, I'm 37, aren't I? Ooh, I just turned 37, I'll tell you. My kids know more about my birthday and my age than I am. But no longer in, is the word of God a welcome of voice in the public square, and we don't see the church being something to see in a positive light and a beacon of hope. There was one of our district presidents of one of our districts was posting on Facebook the other day um, that he had signs about protecting mothers and protecting children, and it keeps getting stolen. And he has stickers on the back of his car about protecting and valuing life and just wanting to help people. It keeps getting stolen. But we see then that the devil, the world, and sinful flesh are fighting vigorously. Because in their minds, this wisdom, the wisdom of death, the wisdom of the world, that is the way that we should live our lives. So God calls us to be faithful, to fight that good fight of faith, to be a city on a hill, to be salt and light in the world, to cast the net of the word of God in our vocations. So we're always called to confess the faith and in all places. God calls you to do that and to be prepared, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. This is why you have to know the scriptures. You don't have to be a theologian, but know the reason for the hope that is within you. And do it with gentleness. Do it with humbleness. Speak, confess what God teaches you. And know, too, that it all doesn't depend on you. You're not burdened to preserve the church because she's the bride of Christ, and he's bought her with the price of his own blood. Jesus has ransomed you, and he will guard and keep you safe in his arms, even unto life everlasting. In chapter 4 of Luke's gospel, the previous chapter prior to this one, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus preaches to you, the Lord will take care of his people. So rest easy in those words of God. Your Lord is Jesus. He worked this miraculous catch of fish for these fishermen. He is the Lord who in John 6 said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So there is this similar fishing language in John's gospel there. Jesus, the term that he uses is kind of that he draws or drags you like a net to himself. That's what God has done. And he does so even as we're kicking and screaming at times, but the Lord works that miracle of faith. So his word has caught you. And your Lord has done this for you, and he promises that he won't let you go. Because though the boat be tossed, the seas roar and rage, Jesus promises you, like he did when he calmed the storm, that the other side is near. He says, don't be afraid. So the church suffers. We suffer as members of it. We bear crosses in this world and as the church together and even in our own lives for bearing the name of Christ. But Jesus is the crucified Lord, and he's risen. And as he said to us last week, a disciple is not above his teacher. This is how they treated the Lord. Why should we expect things to be any different? But in this, though, the Lord sharpens you. He sharpens your life, and he sharpens us as the church. He forms our confession so that we speak clearly what our Lord has revealed to us. And we learn to trust more clearly and firmly that word. 
When you see that you've toiled all night and have caught nothing, well, the Lord answers your prayers and says, listen to my word and have life. The voice of faith is this confession of at your word, like Peter spoke, and it echoes other great saints of the Bible, such as Mary, who said to the angel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. God didn't put them to shame. Even when they thought these things were foolishness, be they toiling all night and, catch, and not catching any fish, or a woman who's a virgin conceiving and bearing a child. God didn't put them to shame. And neither will you be put to shame. So as you hear all of this and take it to heart today, repent of your sin and fix your eyes on Jesus. He's redeemed you. And rest in his word and those promises that you have eternal life. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Remember that. And God has saved you through the folly of the cross, that God himself be crucified and die so that your sin is forgiven and you have eternal life. That's the wisdom from on high. That's the eternal life that you have. That's the love of God for you and Jesus. So rest easy. Find solace in the church that is eternal and will not be overcome. When times of trial and hardship come and all seems to be hopeless, cling, cling even more to the Lord who is your anchor and keeps you from being tossed here and there by every fad and false teaching itching ears want to hear that wants to tempt you into thinking that something else is bigger and better. But be content with the word of God. Look to the horizon too and know what is coming. See the shore ahead because the Lord is returning and your redemption draws near. And he will take you to himself. And on that day, the toil will be gone. All doubts and struggles will be gone. No more crosses there will be to bear. All sin will be gone. All death will be gone. And that day will be a glorious day without compare. When the fishing and work is over. And it's time to eat at that feast forever. Amen. <laughs>